Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is April the 19th. Lovely little Wednesday we've got here. Um, special day in my in my family. It's my mom's birthday, so quick shout out to mom. Woo. Add to the, uh, to the birthday month, my grandmother's birthday in two days. So and a lot of our friends, I think, either have birthdays, just had birthdays, or will soon to have birthdays in the next week or so. So shout out to all of them as well. But enough about the birthdays. What do we uh, What do we got this week? Happy birthday to Mrs. Goshroy. As I said a couple of weeks ago, April best month to be born. Totally unbiased opinion. We are we have a really fun episode this uh, today. Um, we're joined by Jennifer Nassour, who is I don't want to overstate this, but kind of like a legend or uh, like a unicorn in some ways here in Massachusetts and uh, New England political circles. She will give her a, a far uh, more extensive bio when, when she comes on, but she is the host of her own political podcast. She is the founder and executive director of a nonprofit that seeks to get women elected. She is the former uh, chairperson of the Massachusetts Republican Party, and she has done numerous other things in addition to all of those so we're, we're, I've been kind of chasing her as a guest for a little bit. And as you can probably tell from that brief bio, she's super busy. So we're really excited to have her on. We're going to talk not only Massachusetts and New England politics, but national politics too, about the Republican Party in general, about super majorities, about the state of democracy. So some of these topics that now we've talked about for several episodes, I'm really excited to get Jen on and to hear her perspective from like her extensive experience about some of these topics. Yeah, definitely looking looking forward to it. Um, I think we've had a couple of guests. We've been sort of fortunate to have a couple of guests um, who are uh, in her sort of uh, broader orb of like the conservative conservatives in Massachusetts, particularly women in conservative politics. So um, I think this is a particular voice that that sort of nationally or or even locally really we don't get to hear a ton from um so really excited uh to get to talk to her yeah and before we bring her on a uh, reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen at cannon hill woodworking they've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in boston's 2018 that's cannon with two ends you can check them out on instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com one of the things, so Jen, as I mentioned, is the founder of the Pocketbook Project, which is really focused on fiscally conservative women. And the boys over at Cannon Hill, Ricky, they wanted to remind us that this being tax week and everything, the IRS says there's nothing wrong with paying your employees under the table as long as it's a Cannon Hill table. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer, the boys in a gentleman's disagreement make no do not validate or say that's legal or the IRS says that at all, but the boys of Cannon Hill did want, you know, let you know that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, tax refunds, uh, you know, also make for good tables as well. So yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah, look at that. Getting something that, back that, from that, that 
can consider uh consider an investment in some custom woodworking. Great investment. All right, let's uh let's bring you on. All right, we are now thrilled to welcome Jennifer Nasora to the podcast. Um, Jen is an attorney. She's a political advisor. She lives here in Boston's Back Bay. She is the founder of the Pocketbook Project, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to electing more women in Massachusetts and the Northeast. We'll talk more about that. She's also the host of her own podcast, Political Contessa, which talks about politics and news and political disagreement, which is a podcast after our own hearts. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But prior to doing all of this, uh, in addition to serving as an attorney for two decades, um, Jen was also the chairman of the Massachusetts Republican Party, was elected in 2009, 2011. Uh, we'll talk much more about like her tenure and the success she had in that role in a little bit. Uh, she has a JD from St. John's University, a master's degree from CW Post University, a bachelor in political science degree from Stony Brook University. She serves on numerous boards really too many to name. She's raising three daughters and now three dogs. She is, she just has a new dog, which we just met. So uh, we, I don't know that we've had anybody on that's busier than you, Jen. So thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time today. Thanks for having me. This is great. All right. So I, I want to start with what you're up to now and with the pocketbook project. And can you just tell us a little bit more about what the organization is, what it does and what, inspired you to, to start the organization? Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start with the last one first. So when I was chair of the Mass GOP, um, I, I noticed a lot of women who were just not, um, were not getting the support that they needed from their communities, whether it was from their town committees or whether it was from other elected officials or donors around them. Um, and, and also women who who were kind of sitting on the sidelines, both literally and figuratively, right? Like the soccer moms, the hockey moms, you know, the working moms who, you know, like myself, like, you know, I have a lunch and then I've got a kid's lacrosse game at three o'clock today. And so, you know, I'm running from one thing to the other and then to take her to soccer practice and fielding phone calls in between. And those women were totally being overlooked. And so my feeling was if we started an organization that was not consultants that were looking to raise money off of those women um, and, and charge the money, but really a, a goodwill kind of education organization to help locate where they are, meet them where they are, educate them in politics from the current issues to um, you know, where, what they, what they need to say and who they need to talk to and the donors that they need to go to. And so that was a lot of why I had, I had started it with my partner, Christina Bain. Um, I have others on my board, like Matt Keswick, um, who's a longtime uh, lobbyist and strategist. I have Beth Lindstrom, also phenomenal strategist and small businesswoman um, and some other political strategists. And so we all came together to start this because there's really a void of women, even in Massachusetts, where we have all women on our, uh, basically all women as far as statewide office holders, except for one, and many women in Congress, although they're all liberal, we still in our state legislature and in all of our local governments 
have a deficit for women where we still only sit at about 26%, which is the national average. And so we felt like we needed to start the conversation, get women motivated and get women running for office. And so we're, we're really a center right organization. Um, we have independent women. I have some moderate Democrats that come through that talk with us and, and work with us. But, you know, for the most part, it's fiscally conservative. So, you know, fortunately in the Northeast, where, um, where we are if throughout, throughout New England is, you know, most women are fiscally conservative, even if they're on the left. And so, um, ours is just really good government, how government could work more efficiently. Do you know where your tax dollars are going? Do you know how they're being spent? You know, one of our big things right now, one of our, our big um, motivators in the organization right now is changing the composition of the, the Massachusetts Senate, state Senate, because the senators voted in for themselves that they no longer need to show up in person for uh, formal votes or for uh, hearings and committee meetings, which sounds crazy, especially when they are getting paid by taxpayer dollars. That does sound crazy, I think, to both of us. But and so we appreciate people like you and organizations like you that are trying to put a little bit of pressure on them. I think we have a couple of follow-ups on that. So you mentioned that Massachusetts is, and I have talked about this, is incredibly, the leadership is incredibly female from Governor Healy, Lieutenant Governor Driscoll, uh, Secretary uh, uh, the Auditor and Diane DeZoglio, the, the Attorney General, Andrea Campbell. And so, as you said, like the organization center-right women are, do you feel like there are unique challenges to being a woman who's center right or even farther right in terms of running for office? I imagine, particularly up here in Massachusetts or New England, but even just in general, I'm, I'm curious um, on your thoughts about that. Um, yeah, it's definitely challenging. So it'd be unfortunate. So I I ran for Boston City Council back in 2019. And Boston City Council or any city council is about, you know, potholes and people. It's about trash removal. It's about, you know, especially in cities, it's about homelessness and drug use and abuse and, you know, how to take care of city, re- how to take care of the residents in your neighborhood nothing to do with national issues. I had people loved me when they first met me. And then they said, oh, are you the Democrat? And because it's a nonpartisan race, most most municipal races are nonpartisan. But because the Boston Globe decided to make it a partisan race, because it was the first time that a Republican jumped in the race in 40 years and made it past the preliminary, they made it a big partisan race. So people knew I was Republican. So then it was, what are you going to do about our abortion rights? What are you, you know, you, you're you definitely with Trump. And I was like, okay, so no, I'm not with Trump. I, I think that he's, his, the way he speaks is repulsive. And I'm not, I'm not effectuating any abortion policy running by being on the Boston City Council. I'm actually concerned about the rats in my backyard, the potholes, the rogue Ubers that are like mowing down me and my kids in the crosswalks. That's more of what I'm concerned about. And so- what I find difficult is in a state like this, um, you know, as a as a as a female in politics, I'm supposed to be a Democrat. I'm supposed to walk in lockstep with Democrats and not be a Republican like myself. And and I'm kind of all over the map on my on my political views. And and still, I'm supposed to be a Democrat. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on this a little bit already. So maybe just to expand on the idea, I think like the pocketbook project is, uh, you know, on on its face, on its name, definitely speaks to fiscal conservatism. I wonder if you think about that kind of in contrast to like the broader, more national kind of Republican or conservative dialogue these days that seems to target more social issues, or are you able or are you thinking about sort of separating the two? We sep- we definitely separate them. Um, Pocketbook Project separates the two issues um, because we really want to focus on educating and supporting women running for office that are fiscally conservative. So we want to talk about you know, and everything has a has a um, has a fiscal component, right? So it might seem like it's it's uh, social on its face, but like as a taxpayer, I don't want to have to. I don't like taxpayer funded abortions, right? That doesn't mean that I'm not pro choice. It just means that I I don't want to pay for your your choices. I don't want to pay for your transitioning. I don't want to pay for. Um, it's like a whole host of things, right? So for me, it's, it's not a social issue. It's seriously a fiscal issue. I I mean, I'm also a single mom and so I'm paying the bills. I know where my tax dollars are going when I'm paying my homeowner's tax and I see my utility bill and I, so I'm paying attention to all of that stuff. I don't want my money to go anywhere else. And so I'm looking for female candidates who feel the same way that, yes, our our elected officials should be working for us. They should not be working for the lobbyists that are coming in and trying to woo them on one position or another. They shouldn't be um, not paying attention to what's going on in their neighborhood. They should be holding coffees at their local coffee shop or going to the local parade and making their presence known, not just walking in it and the celebrity of it, but actually sitting there and taking questions from people who may disagree with them. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of public discourse with our elected officials here in Massachusetts. It's a, I said this, you're going to fall in line. You're going to be appreciative of this. And yes, I'm going to take your tax dollars. I'm going to give myself a big fat pay increase. And you know, you might be hurting a little bit and I don't care. So that's what we're concerned about um, at Pocketbook Project. I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you feel like what's happening nationally is a distraction or a detraction from, I think, what you sort of are pinpointing as like the issues that are impacting people's everyday lives? One thousand percent. I mean, it's it is um, it's really unfortunate because I think that, you know, and I, I can only talk for the Republican Party, right, because I'm a little bit biased as far as the Democratic Party goes um, in the in the negative category, not in the positive. But on the Republican side, over the last 20 or so years, we have really lost our way. You see how spending is out of control. That is on both sides. That is both sides throwing in their little pet projects on the backs of all of us taxpayers. And this is going to reach not just my kids, but, you know, all of our grandkids and our great grandkids. Um, you know, we're looking at, you know, Gen X is not going to have Social Security available to us. It's going to run out very soon and it's going to affect a lot of those baby boomers, too. So what did we pay taxes into? Oh, and then, by the way, my mom just told me, because I didn't know this, which is really weird, but my mom told me that they actually take taxes out of your Social Security. That would be what you were, ta- what was taken out of your paycheck years ago. Now you have taxes taken out of. Very interesting point, right? So, like, you're always paying Uncle Sam, and neither party has been very fiscally responsible, which is upsetting. 
Um, I think the national messaging has gone astray because Republicans were always, and and I think Governor Sununu just talked about this, you know, we want limited government. We don't want bigger government. And the second that we Republicans start getting into bigger, the bigger, bigger government business, we, we're, what do we have to offer people? So is it just about the, you know, oh, we're, we're socially conservative? Well, okay, then you just lost half of the party, right? So I, I think that the Republican Party really needs to do a deep dive and soul search and figure out how it gets back to basics. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to come back to your tenure as the chairman of the chairperson of the Massachusetts Republican Party, because as I kind of alluded to in your introduction, it was unprecedented success. So it was unprecedented from the 20 years previously, it's been unprecedented in the, in the decade plus since. Um, during that time, we obviously had uh, the first uh, Republican senator elected since maybe Edward Brooke when Scott Brown was elected um, in a hugely consequential election with um, that was when uh, Senator Kennedy had passed. And then also the Massachusetts Republicans gained, I think, like 16 seats in the legislature, which now I don't know that we have 16 seats, period. Uh, and so... I'm curious. And, and so I guess that's Massachusetts focused, but even New England focused in this past cycle, no Republicans were elected to the House. I believe Susan Collins is the only Republican in all of New England that represents us in Congress. So how, how do you make sense of that? Like, I think there's there's got to be some I think there is some despair as as people that grew up, maybe more traditional conservative, like the the Bush Romney Republicans as you're looking around and you're like, I don't know that there is a, not only a place for us, but a path for us to be successful here in Massachusetts and New England anymore. So how, how are you combating that? How are you uh, encouraging other people to combat that? It seems like kind of a wicked problem. It, uh, God, I mean, this is, this is a pet peeve of mine, right? It's, um, we had a great we had some great candidates right in Connecticut with George Logan in Rhode Island with Alan Fung, um, both phenomenal men who were running for office. New Hampshire lost their minds when they you know did not go in the um, more moderate direction on their congressional race that could have been won, um, and so. It's it's a it's an issue for us not to have any representation in in Congress, and it's just I think it it speaks a lot to how we are so different than everywhere else in the state. Um, thank you for pointing out those things about when I was party chair. We ended up by the time I left, I think we ended up netting eighteen seats and Brown. Um, and so it was, I mean, that one election cycle, though, we did win 16 seats and we doubled the size of the House of Representatives in Massachusetts, which was really, really cool and something that I focused on. And, you know, one of the, the things that parties generally miss is some people wake up, you know, in the morning and they brush themselves off and they look in the mirror and they're like, I look like a U.S. senator. I look like a member of Congress. And, you know, miss that there's school board and there's planning committee and there's, you know, your water commission. And then there's running for the legislature at different levels, or there's running on your town council or your city council and you're running for mayor and doing all those things. 
actually help you raise up through the ranks and then run for something else down the line. And so I think that that's also, you know, I, I use Alan Fung as a great example. The guy was mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island. Like as a Republican, he was the mayor of a very democratic city in Rhode Island. And he was perfect to run for Congress. He had the everything about him is exactly what you would want. Living the American dream, which, you know, might be bad to say these days. Who knows? I always get in trouble when I say things that, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago or three years ago was okay. And now it's not. But, um, you know, live the American dream. He is, you know, an Asian American. He's a lawyer. He's married to like a hot rod woman who also took out a Democrat, took out the Democratic Speaker of the House in Rhode Island and is a legislator herself. So like not a newbie to politics and still couldn't win. And it's like, you know, when the national messaging is so terrible, I think it just makes it more difficult for everyone who are in the blue states, um, you know, especially in New England, which has our own special type of of political existence from the national model. So just to follow up on that, I saw on your podcast, again, Political Contessa, you had Amy Carnavale, um on recently, and she's the new chairwoman of the Republican um, Party here in Massachusetts. And in some ways, I think it's crazy that we know who the Republican, you know, the chairperson, I have no idea who the chairperson of the Democratic Massachusetts Party is, because like, there's no need to know them, right? All they do is win, really. Uh, but anyway, Coming off Chairman Lyons, who Ricky and I have talked about previously, and the party in some ways seems to be at an, at, at a nadir here in Massachusetts. Um, what advice did you have for her? Is it is it more? Yes, that's my question. What what advice did you have for her in in terms of trying to kind of rebuild and get an op- a real opposition party back in the state? Yeah, I mean, it's all about this is you know basically what I was saying about New England being so different than the rest of the country and needing its own messaging. It's about having a big tent party, right? So if you have a big tent, you welcome all different views. I mean, I've been using this for a million years as my example. I don't get along or I don't agree with my mother, my mother, 100% of the time. I don't agree with my children that I'm raising to be like me 100% of the time. I don't agree with my best friend that I've been friends with for 45 years. A hundred percent of the time. Why the hell would I ever agree with any freaking politician that I've never met a hundred percent of the time? That is totally, totally outrageous for either party to believe that you need to be just like AOC or Ayanna Presley or just like Donald Trump or, 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 uh, Tom Cotton. God help us. But I mean, it would be, that would, that would be insane to be exactly the same. So I'm not going to have the same views as you in Oklahoma on gun rights. I'm not going to have the same views as you in Kentucky on abortion. I'm not going to have the same views on, you know, like a thousand different things, right? Free speech, my number one thing, clearly, because I hold myself back a lot. Um, is, <laughs> but, but other than that, why shouldn't we have a big tent, accept everyone and say, listen, if you're an independent, but you believe in fiscal responsibility, limited government, you know, all of these things, then come on with us. Let's run you for office. Let's train you. Let's get you in the door because that independent may become a Republican once they realize that we have good messaging and the messaging isn't that one size fits all. It really varies. I mean, when I was chairman, I had 
Representative Brad Jones, who's the um, the leader in the House, the Republican minority leader in the House, and I had Jeff Perry on the Cape. They could, or Don Hummison out in Westfield, Massachusetts. They could not have been any more politically different than each other. But when I talked about the fiscal issues, they were all in line on the fiscal issues. And so the messaging has to be something that unites the party and not divides the party. And the difference is with the person who shall not be named because I refuse to talk about his name anymore, is that all he wanted to do was talk about the divisive issues and say, if you don't agree with me 100%, then I don't want to talk to you. You're either a me person or a Baker person. You're either with me as pro-life or you could get out of my office. And that to me is not a way to be a party leader. A party leader is like a coach, right? It is, you have some people who sit on the bench at, until you really need them and they're on your third string and you've got your you know number one player out that's always on the field. You need that number one player, but you need that third stringer just as much because God forbid the other two players before him or her get knocked out. You need that third string. I think I think that that is I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. And um, I think we 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 sort of think about that a lot. Um, one of the debates that we've kind of had on this podcast is like whether or not the two party system really supports or continues to suit sort of the variety in, uh, I guess, opinions or beliefs and values of different people from different places in in America, right? Obviously, you have the urban-rural divide, all all these different types of things that that seek to try and put people in different buckets, but ultimately, they have to either align, either Democrat or Republican. Um, It sounds like from the big tent that the two-party system may be okay in your eyes as long as kind of the the things that we have to be consistent on as a party individually are limited in scope and that we have factions. Curious if that, if I, if I got that right, or if you're thinking maybe we should be looking at it in a, in a different direction than we have been since our inception, basically. Well, um, that's, well, I, I guess I have, I have two different views, right? As a former party chair, I do believe in the two-party system. And um, the the chairman of the Democratic Party in Massachusetts right now is Steve Kerrigan, who is a good friend of mine um, and a great guy. And and I got, God bless him. And I told him, I'm like, good luck to you, because when you win everything and you know you you own everything, the only place to go is down. <laughs> Whereas Amy Carnavale, the only place she can go is up. And so you know, I, I think that Steve is going to have a much tougher time than Amy, because if she gets one win, that's one win more than we've had in the last four years. So, um, you know, one loss to them is going to be devastating. Um, but, but besides that, um, the the I, so I do believe in the two party system. I, and I also think it being both of my my undergraduate, my graduate degrees are in American government. And um, so I think it's very difficult to run as a third party candidate and not take votes away from one of the two major party candidates. You know, so I I think what Andrew Yang um, and Chrissy Todd Whitman have done with the forward party is really remarkable. Um, I follow them. I read what they're doing. I I would love to go to one of their events and just hear what they have to say. Um, But I mean, again, like I, I have good friends that are political operatives on the left 
I can't imagine us working together for a candidate because I would have one view on something and they would have a totally different view on that thing. And how do you advise that candidate? And are you then, are you not feeling great about the mission? Um, you see what the Lincoln project had done, right? They were trying to get out Trump and, and great. They did a good job, but you know, it got to the point where there was a lot of rift in the staff because there were a lot of liberals working with a lot of people that were internally very conservative and had been Republicans for a long time. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I would love to see it. I would love to see a third party emerge because maybe there is someone that has some sense of reasonableness. Like, let's talk about term limits. Let's talk about age limits, you know, not to be an ageist and be discriminatory, but really like you've got Diane Feinstein there. I'm sorry, regardless of what party you're in, you know, she's got to go. I mean, so does, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Feather. Chuck Grassley. No, well, Chuck Grassley, uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Pelosi, <laughs> um, the pre- the current president, the past president. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole litany of them, right? And so I, I think that, you know, it'd be interesting to hear from a third party and see if they have suggestions on on real democracy and making making substantive changes that wouldn't ever come from either party. That's really interesting. Ricky and I actually just talked term limits on our past episode. Ricky went on a rant at the end. He was like, I've never really been a believer of term limits, but I, I'm becoming more and more in favor of them, given what's going on in a lot of these places. One other thing that he and I talked about in our past episode was the dangers of supermajorities in state legislatures. And we talked specifically about what was happening in Tennessee and what's been happening in Wisconsin. And obviously, those are Republican supermajorities who... I think Ricky and I both agree are are really pushing the limits of their power and what they should be doing. But Massachusetts, obviously, on the other side of things, also has a Democratic supermajority. And while I would argue they haven't done anything as egregious as the legislatures in Tennessee or Wisconsin, just last week, Ricky, I don't know if you saw this, but last year, if people have been following along, they know that um, Massachusetts had this 1986 bill that said, like, once you had, once the state got, took in too much tax money, they had to send rebates based on how much you paid. And last week, the Democrats in the legislature changed that, and everyone was getting a flat rate. So no matter if you paid a million dollars in taxes or a hundred dollars in taxes, you are getting the same rebate now, if that ever happens again. And there's really nothing anybody else could do about that because they have a a supermajority. And so this is where I, it brought up, Ricky, what we had talked about, and Jen, I'm just kind of curious, I'm sure you have thoughts on this, too, of, like, the danger of having just really one-party rule in a state. That's not democracy. I mean, it, it's, if I could, if I could define myself as, um, as, as a warrior of something, right, other than increasing female participation in voting and, and being, you know, being elected to office, um, running for office, it would be a warrior for democracy because both parties are failing at the hands of, of what we have right now, which is not democracy. You need to have, you know, when, when the House flipped and all Democrats were, oh, my God, the House flipped and the Republicans, ah! you know what? You've got a president and you have the United States Senate. Chill out. It's not, didn't rock the world. You see what happened. It's a small majority and Kevin McCarthy is going to be out on his butt pretty soon. Don't worry about it. Right. And, and that's not because the Republicans are losing the house. It's just he's going to go down with the, with the Trump ship. Um, you know, other, other than that, as I deviate from Massachusetts, Massachusetts is the same thing. So 
you know, right now you have a speaker of the house who is probably holding on to his, you know, old, you know, Democrat light status with, you know, all of his other old buddies who have been in the legislature for years and years and years, um, you know, and never was considered a conservative Democrat until, you know, more recently when all of the Looney Tunes on the far left came in. Now, at what point do they have to play footsie with those guys, you know, women and say, okay, you know, Rep Liz Miranda, you know, you're off the charts in like a totally different direction than we'd ever go, but we need to placate you. So we're going to take a vote on this and we're all going to agree. And again, at the end of the day in Massachusetts, what most people enjoy about living here is that fiscally the state has been more responsible, hence why there have all been Republican governors in the corner office for 16 of the last 20 years. In the meantime, you know, it's more socially, I would say, not even liberal, just libertarian. Do whatever you want, live your own life, and don't bother me with, you know, with all of that. And and it has worked well. But now with a legislature where we have a 200-member legislature, 25 of those members are actually Republicans. Republicans have no voice, no say, no nothing. And you have to rely on those more conservative Democrats. I just don't know how long they're going to last in the current push for everyone to be a super liberal. Yeah. And that's where it gets like a little bit scary from anybody that's more independent and more conservative where like, where's the check at that point? It doesn't really exist. Uh, So just a couple of things before we let you go, Jen. One, one thing I've noticed in just following again, podcast political Contessa is that something you've talked about repeatedly recently is mental health. And so can, can you just share a little bit about like why that's been a topic that's top of your mind that you feel like needs to have more discussion? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I have my own, um, my own experience with mental health issues, not on my own, but um, my brother was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome when he was 12. Um, when he was about 13, he was given a medication called Haldol. Haldol is uh, like an antipsychotic medication that's like a super, super high. They didn't know how to treat Tourette's. It ended up over time, um, you know, giving him hallucinations and he had serious side effects from it. Um, Ultimately, you know, was controlling his Tourette's, he thought, with drugs and then ultimately died of a drug overdose. So um, mental health to me is is very, very important. Um, I feel like a lot of what's going on today with kids in schools, um, whether it's the transgender stuff, whether it's kids picking up guns and shooting other kids, whether it's um, kids committing suicide, the suicide rate and the anxiety rates are so much higher today. In girls, the rate of um, of eating disorders, much, much higher today. Um, a lot of that is the result of COVID, of kids being at home, of kids not having you know, a social life kids hiding behind masks, kids being scared to death that they're going to die if they don't wear a mask, if they don't get a vaccine, um, and parents kind of not having the resources to deal with it. There are, you, if you have kids and you're looking for a, a therapist, it's nearly impossible to find one. So God forbid your kid has an issue. And so I just look at all of the things that are going on today. In, in a, as a mom, I've got kids between the ages of 11 and 19 and, and just thinking how sad it is for, to feel so helpless and to feel like there's no one to turn to and, not knowing what's going on with your kid and then, you know, your kid's ultimate, you know, ultimate demise um, in, in one of these terrible ways that I feel like, you know, we've, we've been seeing lately. 
Yeah. And so if, if people want to hear more about that, you can get, go go check out Jen's podcast, Political Contest. I, I think that was a, a short but powerful statement on, on that issue because it is it, it seems to have permeated so much of our our lives here in the United States in the last few years. Not that it hadn't before, but it's been especially kind of top of mind, really. All right, last thing for you. In doing some research about you, I saw that you worked in the Massachusetts State House from 2001, 2002 under Governor Jane Swift, who Ricky and I had on a couple of months ago. It was honestly one of the most fun episodes. She was hilarious. So do you have any stories about working for Governor Swift uh, at that time? Oh, my God. It was like 100 million years ago. Um but, you know, she she remains a good friend um, and someone who I just am in awe of and everything she did. I mean, the woman was pregnant, giving birth to twins in office. And at the time, I didn't have kids. I was I just had gotten married and I I didn't understand it until I was pregnant with my own child <laughs> thinking, OK, this is bad. And then I was pregnant with my second one. I was like, OK, this how she did it. And this and unfortunately, you know. What she went through back then was so unfair, the scrutiny that she went through. And that's kind of what, you know, Pocketbook Project is all about, right? Helping women who feel like, well, you know, I saw what happened to Jane Swift or I saw what happened, you know, to, you know, another woman who is in politics and and how she was berated for her decisions. And, And that, to me, stayed with me all these years because... Um, I, I was a fan of hers and I, I think she, she was exactly the model of, of the person, not just a woman, but any person running for office, going from local office and going from the state house to, to being the lieutenant governor. And then while she was pregnant, being left with being the governor of Massachusetts. Um, but I think the scrutiny that women undergo generally, I mean, you see it with Nikki Haley now, right? And Don Lemon's obnoxious comments. You, you women have not it has not changed for us we're always scrutinized on how our hair looks our makeup you know our weight our clothing how our children behave whether we're married or not um and and that doesn't change and that hasn't changed unfortunately in all these years yeah that's fair and i think it's a, it's a nice way to wrap and explain like really the importance of organizations like yours and the work that you do uh it was funny ricky at one point was we, we had talked about Governor Swift and why she left politics. And she was like, look, I, I wanted to be with my kids, just like paycheck wise, family wise. It made sense for me. And Ricky was like, sounds like you have no regrets. And she was like, I have regrets. I would have, if I, I would have freaking changed society if I could have. But she was like, it just wasn't how it was. So like we kind of, that's, I did the best I could with the circumstances with which I was dealt. And so, uh, but whatever she, she was, it was wonderful talking to her. It's been wonderful talking to you again. If people want to follow you or find you, where are some places they can do that? Excellent. Well, thank you. Um, I'll plug Political Contessa, politicalcontessa.com. Uh, we are on all different streaming, so you can check us out on the website. You can go check me out on Spotify and Apple and all those things. Um, you can tell I'm not, you know, I'm Gen X and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not Gen Y. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you can also look us up at pocketbookproject.org, um, or you can follow me and sometimes my obnoxious comments or check out my new puppy on Twitter at Jennifer Nassor. Beautiful. Uh, well, I hope people go and do that. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. We know it's very valuable, so we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank thank you. you guys. Thank you for having me. This is really yeah. fun.
Yeah, it's been fun finally getting to connect with you. So um, best of luck with everything, and I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll stay in touch. Well, that was that was great. Yet again, we're uh, very fortunate to have um, the guests to join us. Join us. Uh, it was funny. Uh, you know, our listeners are not going to be able to see this, but she, her her brand new puppy was gnawing on her fingers pretty much the entire time. But you would, I, th- I mean, she seems to be a pro at like at working through distractions. Yeah. I mean, she, not she's used to having a bunch of balls in the air, so it wasn't anything for her to record a podcast while taking care of a brand new puppy. It's just yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had I had a couple of thoughts. It's, I mean, we I feel like we remark about this every single time. Um, and and though it is morally and ethically irresponsible to surreptitiously record people, I, I and legally and yeah. legally and all those things, yeah. but like it was, you know, we we got this after we after we sort of closed the interview. She on her sort of departure way out, she was sort of saying like, I mean, a lot of what a lot of reiteration of what she said. Just where does someone like her fit in today's Republican Party when? like the focus that she has is the fiscal responsibility. Like where are my tax dollars going? I want to make sure that they're going to support things that I think that we all need. And that, that really in in many ways, like support me back, you know, I want my tax dollars to invest back in me and then, um, and sort of saying, but the sort of the Republican platform and well, lack of platform, but dialogue being so focused on guns and, abortion and transgender rights and things like that that are not where she feels at home because she doesn't share many of those specific views on social issues um that like yeah where where does she go and i think that's that is both like a local issue for massachusetts republicans um but clearly one that is kind of nationally pervasive as well so i i I thought that was an interesting uh tidbit that we caught but didn't quite catch on the podcast (laughs) yeah it's not surprising to me and i think speaks directly to the issues that we just discussed about why there is only one republican representative in all of the new england states at this point and she is arguably the most moderate republican in the senate and also my favorite senator for like all of those exact reasons i think we need more susan collins in the legislature but but that's i think that's been the frustrating part for so many what i would term just like traditional conservatives over the, the the past six seven eight years at this point like you look around and you're just like where where do i fit and i think that's why you've seen such an exodus from the republican party both at the state level here in massachusetts but also at the national level it's just it doesn't seem like there's a place for you and i give jen a ton of credit because she's one of those people that's like clearly staying in the fight where she's being like, I'm not, um, I am going to fight for like kind of the soul of my party and what I believe that it should be as opposed to what it's become, where I do think there's a fair amount of people, perhaps myself included, that have been like, that's, these people just don't represent me anymore. And I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be affiliated with it. And I think, unfortunately, you have too much of a drain of, she, she mentioned like the Lincoln Project, for example, where it's like, you have so many people that are like, almost leaving the party where it leaves the party to like the primary voters, you know, essentially like the, the people that we've talked about, it's the far, the, the far right people now that now control the party. And that, that's really frustrating. Um, so I definitely understand her frustration, but also appreciate you know, what she's doing. Yeah, agreed. I think one of the interesting things that she had talked about, which is 
kind of very different from what feels like modern politics is this idea of rising through the ranks, like starting out at some very local levels, like a school board or a town council or something, and then working your way through a state assembly or, you know, what have you before, before kind of getting to the national stage. Whereas now, you know, so many of today's politicians find ways to capitalize on hot button issues, get a lot of publicity, and then all of a sudden become a front runner in a race with really little to no political experience. And while the moniker of being this like outsider who's going to come in and shake things up is very sexy, it, I think to her point, it yields very little results for people um, uh, in kind of like a, a meaningful way. And I think her analogy, or maybe not quite an analogy, but like, you know, running for town count or city council, you're thinking about things like potholes and, and like local speed limits and like other stuff that really affects the way that people live their life on a daily basis. And this idea that you can kind of develop your value system and figuring out, look, well, how do I tackle these small cases and then broaden that to larger and larger scale is something that may be really fundamentally missing from our current, like another issue that we have with our current system in that it doesn't necessarily reward people who are coming up through the system. Now there is the other idea of like the career politician and right. Like we talk and, and maybe, and you can touch on, I think you can sort of say there there's potentially a double-edged sword there or right. Maybe the grass is always greener perhaps, but I, I do think that's something that we haven't really touched on a lot about. And I think that that is, I think that, I think it's a fair point. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I was going to say exactly what you said at the end there is that obviously the criticism of those people are like, oh, my God, it's just a career politician who's always just trying to work up and get to the next level and make more money for themselves and more prestige for themselves. And you know, you can be the outsider and say, come drain the swamp, right? Like that's I'm, I'm, I'm going to come in and shake things up. But I mean, that largely doesn't happen. And even like the loudest voices on the right or the left, like how much are they getting done versus people that are serving on town or city councils or school boards? They're actually doing things, you know, like. And, and you have a record that then of like actually getting things done and like talking with people like Jen was acknowledging like that when she ran for Boston City Council, it's a nonpartisan election. Obviously, there's partisanship that goes into it, but you are used to being in a, a room with 12 other people and talking together and trying to come up with solutions that really matter to people. Like you said, whether potholes or trash removal or uh, rats in the city, whatever it is, you know, like, but it's. I do think there's something to be said for knowing how to get things done, which when you're just shouting through a bullhorn about like far right or far left issues, how, what, what do you really know about getting things done? One of the other things she said that I thought was interesting was like the importance of having a platform. And I've railed against now for years about the Republicans like lack of a platform. And I think that's actually maybe even a bigger deal. And I was making it because when you have like a consensus of like, here's what we stand for. All right. Well, then I at least at least I know, right? Whatever it is, at least I know that like I agree with that or I disagree with that. This kind of like ambiguous uh, cult of personality where Republicans for the last at least six or seven years have been just a party of Trump. It's like so it's it becomes either you're with him or you're against him, and that doesn't lead to a big tent at all, which is the opposite of what she was saying. Where like as the leader here of the party in Massachusetts, she was like, "All right, well, here are the issues that we believe in." 
you might believe in some other issues, you might not believe in some other issues, but if you're gonna be in the, these are the these are our core tenets. And I like again when we talk about like traditional politics, that's what it, like that's why parties existed because it was like all right, here are all the things that we believe in. Anyone that like agrees with those same things, regardless of your other beliefs, you we want you in our tent. And that I do think that's something that's been lost certainly on the Republican side. I wonder even a little bit on the Democratic side over the oh. last few years. Oh, I mean, t- totally. I, I mean, I think every even, you know, you can look at Democratic races in, in Massachusetts alone, right? Like so many things have become just this litmus test. Like how do you stack up against what we are, you know, the pro- progressive causes du jour sort of thing, right? Like, are you, you know, enough? Or, or, yeah, are you left enough on these issues? And that is a real sort of shame because it really it limits the political diversity like within your party across aisles like all all of that is like that idea of representation is still really important if only because you know one of the things that she was that that you both were rightly reflecting on it the idea of the super majorities especially at the state level is not necessarily just that okay there's nothing stopping some of these things, but it's like, even if we can agree on the problems without having proper debate on like what the solution should be, how do we measure effectiveness of the solution? We just kind of like march forth with whatever um, the, you know, basically that like outside litmus test is that like, oh, we have to fund this or we have to tackle this issue by, de- you know, by removing police, What like whatever it is. That is, I think, leads to more ineffective solutions, even if the solutions that come out of like more contested um, sort of debates or whatever, maybe may not go as far and may not have as far reaching ambitions. Those, I think, tend to like work better. Yeah. In so yeah, in so many ways. And so that that is like something that we're really missing. Um in in yeah like across the spectrum yeah absolutely and it's almost it actually reminded me what you're saying at the end when we had Nikayla Chinaswamy on now I guess almost two years ago now when she was pretty much I was like wow what's the point of even being like a, a Republican in the in, at all at this point she, she was like you got to be in the room because in the room then you can just push back a little bit and you might you're not going to win this argument but you're just going to nudge people a little bit in your direction where that that check just doesn't exist it's interesting, Ricky, how sometimes like unintentionally we have these threads that go through episodes and across episodes of just like the importance of checks and balances and how for many of the reasons that we've talked about today and that we talked about last week, we're we're losing that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah, like you always say, it's all connected. It's all connected. That is what I always say. Um, but thank you again to Jen for joining us. As, as Ricky mentioned, we continue to feel incredibly grateful that people like her give us a little bit of their time and thank you as always uh for everyone that listens if you want to follow jen you know where to do that if you want to follow us it's uh on instagram a underscore gentleman's underscore disagreement i mean you can find us wherever well if you're listening to this i suppose you found us somewhere so (laughs) which we appreciate yeah all right till next time yeah
We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads, running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away, some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find In a case of lion's hands and folks of different minds Because even though it did not share the pains we share That American idea, friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz, need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way But to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than a rain Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten The values sometimes Being wrong Some mornings you away the morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find In a, a case of lion's head And folks of different minds Because though we didn't share Opinions we share Loud American ideals Friends made over arguments In an early morning bus I need an early morning bus Hope behind the bluster Cause the old mainstream may not sell It's full of folks Just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's time to find a better way To disagree Some days you win Some days you leave your ego through But well, I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find And chase the lion's head And folks of different mind Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz oh, What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find And chase the lion's head Folks are different minds Because though we did not Share opinions We share that American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz